Blog Talk Radio.
evening. Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM in uh, Carborough, North Carolina. Um, 646-929-0130 is the number to get in touch with us. Uh, if you want to be a part of the broadcast, uh, make sure you it is up there. You also can watch on StreamYard. Uh, if you're watching there, uh, you can wave to us there. The chat room is open on I'm, I'm doing uh, I'm going to do some radio for 20 and, minutes. And I'm just, um, to mute that there. I want to bring in my guest. Of course, always good to have him on. Uh, he is the Bureau Chief uh, and LC, LJC Media and Podcast host. He is Jim Williams. Jim, always a pleasure to have you on, sir. Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, it's been a crazy week. It has been a crazy week. Um, it's been a crazy week for on a lot of different levels, Jim. Um, yeah. I wanted to have one to kind of get your thoughts on so far, you know, with President-elect Biden's cabinet. Um mm-hmm. Give us some of the highlights of what you think he's done. That's that's done. Who he's nominated, who um, you think will be well uh, for America. Well, I think what he's done, and let's just talk about the the team in general. In general, um, um, if 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 he had, if the Democrats had won the Senate, right? We likely would see a, a, a little bit of a different team uh, than what he put in there. Uh, he's got a lot of people that people will remember from the Obama administration, uh, and they need – the reason is because he needs people who can hit the ground running on day one because you've got the pandemic going on. You've got – uh, almost depression level unemployment. You've got health care needs, and then God knows what kind of poltergeist is waiting for him in things that have been buried in the, uh, you know, uh, by the administration, the previous administration, the Trump administration, um, you know, in little booby traps and, and landmines that, that can go off. So, where he might have pulled some, you know, newer people into the mix, um, he he almost couldn't afford to do it because, you know, them getting on their feet on the ground and, and trying to get, you know, a, a handle for what it's like to run uh, a large bureaucracy uh, becomes a huge problem. Plus, you have to remember that there's a massive brain drain um, – when the Trump administration took office because um, there were 2,500 positions from the State Department, from any number of different departments that just simply weren't filled. So you've got, you know, you've got uh, a mess of catastrophic proportions on your hands just for a, a staffing situation, let alone, let's put, you know, we got the coronavirus at an all-time high. We got, you know, as I said before, the unemployment, and we've got no stimulus package. So, you know, if 
if ever there was somebody who was uh, had been handled a worse hand, um, I, I certainly can't remember it. Yeah, and you know, with the the pandemic, I think a lot of people. Are, I'll get back to his cabinet, but I think a lot of people are very uh, pleased with uh, him keeping Dr. Fauci around, and sure. and now saying that, and now saying that it's uh, he uh, is for his first 100 days, he's gonna you know implement this mandatory mask wearing. I know 70 million mm-hmm. people or less maybe not do not want that. How do you think that's going to go over, and should that be one of his first things uh, that he implements in those first 100 days? Well, yeah, you know, look, I, I'm I'm a very pro-mask person. I have a bunch of masks. I um, don't leave home, literally don't leave home without it. I mean, I don't, the, I open my door. I live in a condominium building. I can't by law in this condominium building, I can't leave to go to the trash room without my wearing my mask. Um, I have no problem with that. I'm helping my, I'm not only am I keeping myself um, safe, but I'm keeping, you know, everybody that lives near me safe and hopefully others safe. Um, we have, and if you don't mind me just taking a second here, I, I am stunned at the selfishness of this country. I mean, we are not asking people to, you know, this is not like World War II where we're asking, you know, people to ration food or, or to do any of that stuff. We're asking them to wear a mask and try to social distance. And we, yet the country, including the country's leaders, both Democrats and Republicans, can, can continually do stupid things that you just sit there and go, this is insane. People are dying on a daily basis. People are getting sick on a daily basis. This could have been handled way back when, when President Trump chose not to tell anybody that it was bad as it was, that ignored it. And now here we are in the fall, and it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy that this country is so, you know, I don't even know what to call it other than selfish, that you cannot wear a stupid mask because it's either a political statement or you don't believe it or whatever. It's just, you know, you can't even ask somebody to do that. That is, I don't know where we are in the state of patriotism that we can't do something to help our, what happened to people wanting to help their neighbor? That's just totally gone out the window. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and um, you know, but it's all in the fake news and a lot of different things. And we've had conversations, Jim, about um, some people don't want to wear masks because they think it's fake news. Some people don't wear masks because they're American. How dare you tell me what to do? You take away my rights. I know the Constitution. I stick my chest no, out. I'm don't. American. Okay, let's go. You know, and that's let's, the problem. They you, don't, but you, this, that's, that's the mentality that we have in America. I'm American. You're not. No, you're right. You know, and, you're right. and, and, and I, I get to do whatever I want to do. You're right. But in the 1918 pan, pandemic, okay, there was a law passed, and that law is still in the books, 
where the government of the United States of America, from the president to governors, can ask in the best interests of the people of their state or of the country to wear, you know, to do whatever it takes to, um, in that case, it was actually you had to have a specific vaccination to keep the the spread of the virus from 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 you know um, going. So people literally had to go, you know, get a shot. We're asking people to just put a damn piece of cloth on your face, um, right. and and legally, yes, it can be done. And legally, the government has the authority to you know to do it. In the state of Maryland, where I live, Governor Larry Hogan has a mask mandate. And if I go out and I get caught, you know, I get a warning. The second time, I get a fine, and I get paid like a traffic ticket. Applaud him for it. I mean, you know, he did that mask mandate since the middle of um, the summer. You know, people, people are not used to it. doesn't mean everybody does it because they don't, but most do, and you're not going to get everybody to do everything. But um, it is there is a selfishness and a lack of, of helping thy neighbor that um, I'm, uh, you know, and, and ironically, a lot of it comes from, you know, the the Christian right saying, well, we have the right to, to go to church. Well, you do. There's nobody that says you don't have the right, but you also don't have the right to kill people. Right. And that's the problem is that they don't understand. They think it's, it's about, you know, and it doesn't work and it, people are still dying. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's, it, well, I don't want to go into into strong details on it, but um, right. we know we both Starting know. Jim yeah, Williams, we both know that should, people should know better. I mean, common sense. If you have sound mind and body, and you're an adult, mm-hmm. then you know you should be able to exercise that common sense and be able to to to, to right. uh, do. Talk with Jim Williams here on the uh, mm-hmm. Bash News Radio Show on the Bash News Radio uh, Network. Uh, Jim, let's talk about some of the picks that President-elect Biden may have issues with um, in terms of getting them confirmed, both from the left of the Democratic Party and from the right. right. Talk about some of them, and will they get through? I apologize. I don't have the list in front of me. Um, The the woman who... um, who the Republicans are upset about because they were texting, or not, or not right. texting her uh, tweet, tweeting her Twitter feed. Um, right. And I apologize. I can't remember her name. Sure. I'll look it up as we go along. Um, first of all, I think it's hilarious that 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 uh, that uh, Republicans suddenly are upset because of uh, things that people tweet. Um, the left is upset because they think that she's not. Um, she was in charge of the drone um, when President Obama had the the drone um, uh, part of DNS. You know where uh, people uh, they use the drones to to take out uh, people. Um, right, which started in the Bush administration. But go ahead. 
Sure. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying it, she was in charge of it. Um, right. I, you're right. It, well, it did start there, and and the effectiveness of drones for this was the concept was, you know, a drone could could be could do the job of what a sniper used to do, and that is when you've identified a target to take that target out. Well, there were more than a few missteps along the way where there was collateral damage, and uh, the left um, was quite upset about this, you know, kind of big brother aspect of of um, of the government, and um, they felt that that might be, you know, a bit of an overreach to have a program that um, didn't have really the element of of uh, a person making a judgment because a sniper could make a judgment. They know they have a clean shot. They take the shot. They, you know, and for lack of a better way of saying it, they take out the target. Or you know, so. But if if you're dealing with drone, a drone, there's you know, there's a lot more that can go wrong because you're. It's almost like a video game. I hate to put it in that realm because people get killed, but. In this video game, if you're missing by a little bit, you might hit something else, and uh, and that happened a couple of times. So she's got on the right a situation with regard to uh, they're mad because they consider her a partisan, which is ridiculous because if you're appointing somebody, yeah, that person's going to be partisan, and um, and they're upset about tweeting, which is I think life of hypocrisy uh and the left is not happy with her um uh feeling of you know that she is a bit of a neocon which that she is um somehow a bit more hawkish than they would like her to be to be honest and to be fair um the woman is quite bright and quite uh capable of handling the position with which she is being um put up for that being said, um, there's an old trick, and it's um, one that's done almost by every new administration, and that's you put somebody up that you know is going to get, you know, not confirmed, and you do that, that you pick a sacrificial lamb, and I'm not saying this is the person who's that person, but you pick a sacrificial lamb knowing that that way you're going to get cover for some of the other people you want to put in um, who are going to come down the line. So I don't know if that's the case or, I mean, certainly the woman is capable of, of handling the job. No question about it. Really the only person yeah. at this point that's getting really pushed back from both the, the right and the left on it. Jan, you know, Janice Yellen. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say Janet Yellen is probably, you know, a hands down. She's going to – I doubt that they would have any problems uh, confirming her. Even McConnell and and his gang, um, you know, confirmed her uh, back when she was coming in. They voted for her when she was uh, involved in the Obama administration. So um, she would be the head of the Fed, and so I think that that's not going to be a hard one. For most of them, I don't think that they're going to have uh, too many 
uh, issues. But, uh, you know, there'll be a couple. There always are. Uh, the, the final one, um, if you can quickly talk about it, and, and again, my uh, notes it escaped me, but um, she is in, hand, in charge of uh, essentially the, not government spending, but, um, man. OMB. Yes, and she's, and, and she's getting a lot of pushback from the right. Um, that, uh, that 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 she won't be progressive. I mean, from, from the left, that she won't be progressive enough, and the right, which oh my God, since um, this man occupying the White House has been in in place, and even before that, government spending has been nobody's been caring about spending at all. So all of a sudden now they care about spending, and then Ron Emanuel, who who I have, it, I really don't want to be in charge of. Uh, uh, transportation to, that it, they're pushing him, um, and he did a good well, job in, in terms of that in Chicago. But so much corrupt the issue with police shooting black men, and he kind of, you know, giving them a pass. There was a lot of different things going on. I think he's too controversial. I don't, I don't think he's a good choice for this team. And maybe it's one of those those choices as you mentioned they're putting out there. Um, just to get a feeler, but they have a backup. Yeah, sometimes you put a name out without expecting for uh, that person to get through. And you float it out there. You don't name them, but you float it out there. And I think Rob Emanuel is um, is one of those, those people where um, you're going to see – that uh, they're going to float the name out there. And, you know, if it looks like it's not going to work, well, then, you know, they won't put him out there. So that's why you get a lot of these leaks about, you know, okay, well, here's who so-and-so is going to do, and, you know, here's you know here's this person, here's that person. But at the end of the day, they're going to, you know, they definitely are not going to. Um, I think Rob Emanuel, Ron Emanuel is – a valuable person, but not necessarily someone you want to put in your cabinet. Yeah. Uh, it, interesting. And, and I'm all, in my personal opinion, all done with the Clintons. Like, no more Clinton stuff. No more. And I know he's mm-hmm. already got some people um, that worked in that administration or were a branch from that administration. But Ron Emanuel is certainly not. Uh, he's too controversial. Um and I, I wouldn't want to pick him. Jim, as always, my friend, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. You be well, okay? Okay, you too. Take care. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Take care. Jim Williams, always good to have him on. He is the Washington Bureau Chief, LJC Media and podcast podcaster himself on the Bachelor News Radio Show, the Bachelor News Radio Network, and WCOM, and Carborough and Chapel Hill, North Carolina.
stomach, there's a pain You walk in my direction, I go the other way I start to stutter when I speak I just stand, but my knees go easy What's happening to me? In the dark, can you tell me what it means? I lay my head on my pillow Staring out the window i 
we um, we're getting to our next guest shortly. Just up there at uh, six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number to get in touch with us uh, on um, our internet. Or if you're watching on uh, StreamYard, you can keep watching and keep listening here. It is the Bachelor News Radio Show.
Welcome back to the show. We uh, thank you for joining us on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio uh, Network and, and WCOM in uh, Parborough. Uh, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. If you have a question or comment, you can certainly hit us up there, um, and we'll definitely get you on the air. I want to go to my next guest, of course, always good to have him on. He's the men's basketball coach at Hampton University. Uh, always a pleasure to have him on. Uh, he is Ed Joyner, Jr., and, and, and Coach Always good to have you on. I hope all is well with you and your family in these, in these trying times. I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, everybody's doing good uh, you know, up to this date. My family and my team, same to you. Uh, but, again, all we can do is try to stay safe, keep praying, and keep playing. So that's what we're going to do. That's right. And, um, you know, you, you played uh, a game against George Washington, a, a team that's you know, it's, it's, it's been in the, you know, up the echelon and, and near conference in, in the past. You go in there and take care of business. Talk about this game. Um, any nerves coming out of week one and uh, certainly with COVID-19? Well, I mean, uh, dealing with COVID-19 has been an experience in itself, uh, especially with all the changes. I think uh, when we went up to GW, uh, sometimes I think when you do things on your own campus, your kids take it for granted, and they think you're overreacting, you know, because they, <laughs> because I don't know that, that sometimes they understand the seriousness of things because they aren't affected the same. But, you know, when I was getting a chance to go up to GW and they, and they got a chance to see that everybody's taking this serious and how serious it is and how blessed we are that, that, that we're in a position that right now we're able to play. So, you know, uh, uh, I was happy that we were, were able to go up there and, and, and take care of business. You know, we were short a few guys, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, the, the guys we had played hard and, and pulled it out. Yeah, and, you know, when you, you look at this this game, I mean, you, uh, again, playing on the road against a team like them, I mean, uh, the on, on ESPN – uh, a four-point game. Talk about some of the uh, – give us a recap on, on how the, the game went. I know you can look at the stats, but certainly tell us how this game went in your opinion. Well, I mean, if, if it was one of those – they play a, a, a unique style where they are aggressive, but I think they switched to much of a zone. I think what we uh, played more, uh, you know, pretty much 100% zone during that game, but – uh, it was it was one of those games where it was our first time. Really, we, we didn't have a chance to do a blue-white scrimmage. Uh, we didn't have a chance to have any. So we had never seen any referees or anything up to that point. Uh, so at the beginning, we did, you know, come off to a slow start. And I think uh, different from a lot of teams that, uh, but the teams that I've had maybe in the last year or two, you know, we have abundance of guys that can shoot the ball, man. I, uh, and so I think at the end of the day, they're a team that, that, that likes to shoot and live and die by the three. We actually held them to two or three for 18, but we shot maybe 10, 10 or maybe a little bit more for 30 from the game. So, you know, I think, I think that's what it came down to. We were able to get key stops when we needed them, uh, and, and we were able to make the three-point ball, so, uh, and, and which gave us a little bit of a cushion, especially going in at halftime up 
Uh, they came back as normal as any home team should, made a little bit of a run. We were able to handle that. And then we were able to knock down a few more threes to give us a cushion. So, And, and I think that's the way that the game ended. You know, how impressed were you – let me rephrase. Were you more impressed that you held them to, I mean, 0.18% from the three-point or more slightly disappointed that they shot the ball almost 47%? Uh, you know what? With, with, I was more impressed that we were able to hold them three, three for 18 and that we were able to keep our composure uh, and, 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 and hold on and win a, a tight ball game at the end. You know, we got, we got seven, eight, nine new guys. Uh, we lost four of our five starters. Uh, we, only, we only have one guy that, that really started for us for the entire year, you know, coming back, and, and he only he averaged only one double-digit score, and he averaged 10. Uh, so this was a paint-by-numbers year for us, and uh, with, with with us going virtual, and we really didn't get our students back till later than a lot of got people. Now, that's not making an excuse. We didn't know how much time we had to jail and to get ourselves together before we played our first game. So, I was really, you know, them shooting 47%. We went in there to take away the three, and we did because we felt like that was the strength of their game. They had three guys on their team that made 80 or more threes, and two of those three, two of those three made over 100 threes last year, and that was over 60% of their offense. So, um, of course, you, you know, when you, when, you, when, you, when you took away the three, we did give up, you know, some, some opportunities inside or here or there where they could score, you know, but, but – Two for three is not the way – I mean, getting twos and not threes is not the way that they want to play. So, I was impressed. But for us, for taking taking that out of their, out of their game plan, you know, and, and then being able to, to gel and, 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 and come together as a team. You're just joining us. We're uh, talking with Coach Ed Joyner, Jr. Uh, of Hampton. The, uh, the Pirates uh, coming off the win against George Washington in the Big South, of course, beating George Washington uh, from the Atlantic 10. Coach, uh, two-parter. Um, you're up for going into the half. You talked about composure that the team showed in uh, in this game. Um, talk about what you said to them to, to, to finish the deal in the second half and the play of your senior, Devian Walker. I think you have four guys in, in double figures, Chris Sheldon and, and um, uh, of course, uh, Edward, <laughs> would you say, Zaheem. I mean, talk about talk about this this team that you you know the poise they show with those four guys in particular. Uh, well, we're going to start with Davion, and again, we know uh, he's our he's our senior leader. You know, him and Edward Oliver Hampton, but but he's our, he's really our senior leader with the amount of minutes and stuff he did for us last year. Uh, he struggled the whole game, uh, and one thing we kept telling him was stick to the process. You know, one it's a it, there's a difference when you play this game, and now you are the risk scouting report not just a part of the scouting report. You are it. And he struggled a little bit early because he was the one that they keyed on. But we tried to make him understand that, you know, the, the way the basketball guys work, when you when you go just continue to play hard and then go off your effort and contribute in other ways, they'll, they'll, they'll allow you to, 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 to make a few plays at the end. And I think he may have scored 12 or 13 of his 20 points in the last three, four minutes of the ball game. Uh, Edward Oliver Hampton, you know, with the loss of Ben Stanley, uh, he was a pleasant surprise for us um, uh, with, with the way that he played and, and his all-around game. He played some three, he played some four, and he actually started the game at the five for us. 
uh, because we didn't have our transfer Deja Dickens for that one game, he'll be back for the game against Norfolk. But uh, he started at the five for us, and, you know, we felt like he could be a problem. They were big, but we felt like they had slow feet, and he could be a problem for that. They're big, and he ended the game with 18 and 11. And then, of course, Saheem Anthony and uh, Chris Shelton just made shots for us when we were struggling early in the first half to to, to – to, to score a little bit, and I think coming off a little bit of butterflies and just the adrenaline of the game, I mean, they must have hit a point where they hit three, four threes apiece, you know, to, to calm us down and give us a little bit of a cushion. And then uh, another guy that we thought stood out was the uh, young man that started point guard for us, Russell Dean. Uh, he's a sophomore. He actually started about 10 games for us last year, but he ran the show. And uh, def- defensively, he, he did a good job containing Bishop and keeping him occupied, but also making sure all our shooters got the ball in spots that they can make shots. You know, Coach, with COVID, I'll get back to the court in your next game, big game coming up with Coach Jones and Norfolk State. Uh, you know, what was your thoughts? You're, and you've always been a straight shooter with us. What was your thoughts when it was decided um, – that the Big South and that Hampton University was going to play in the midst of this COVID-19? Well, it, it was kind of shocking at first, but at the end of the day, at some point, life does go on. And uh, we, we, I, I felt like we did have to, to figure out how to, to have some sort of normalcy, but also try to keep ourselves keep ourselves safe. safe. But I, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted to play, and I wanted to play bad. I I mean, for six for six months, I don't think my kids knew the person that they uh, that, that that was sitting in the house. And not, that, I'm not saying that from a bad standpoint. They figured out I can cook. They figured out I can help with homework. They figured out. <laughs> I mean, I became a hell of a father. You know, what I mean? right. and now I can't get off the hook. Now my wife believes and says, "Oh no, you got him. You cook. You take care." <laughs> so, you know, I, I was, itching. I mean, again, as we all were, we were itching for sports and, 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 and some part of normal life that we can grab. And I, and I think I, I was blessed and we were blessed as a program at the Big South, you know, it, it decided to play and then Hampton allowed us to play. You know, uh, again, we were one of the lucky ones that, that, that they allowed to come back and play, you know, for various reasons. You know, and and by the way, I I, I understand that whole father thing, and but you know, my my name is Daddy now, so the, the, boy, <laughs> boy, little kids gotta go back to school. But anyway, um, you know, it, one of the things though, the concern for you know, you know, in the the Big South, but you know, traditionally being an HBCU and the funding that you would be able to keep up in those. Those those areas financial with the endowment and everything, the the money in the bank type thing. Was there any concern about that when you guys got started? I mean, football, basketball, no. you know, that whole thing. You know what? Not not for us. I mean, I I, I mean, I, I and I, I, I the university has already published this. I think, you know, we we were fortunate enough throughout this throughout this uh, COVID ordeal. I think, you know, it. And money alone, we probably got close to $100 million. You know, Dr. Harvard did a hell of a job, you know, of making sure right. that we would, you know, with the McKenzie Scott deal with uh, somebody else came in. I can't remember the exact name. Gave us another $20 million or this and that. Uh, they made, uh, with the relationships that Dr. Harvey had, we ended up, uh, we're actually a, a testing site in, in the 757. So 
a lot of universities around this area and places in this area will place they come test. Uh, within that, we we got uh, I think over five thousand rapid tests, which which are at our disposal uh, as an athletic department. Part of that, we 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 test daily. It ain't it's not a once every three and and three or four days or this and that. We take a test every morning before you walk into that gym, and you got mm-hmm. uh and, and and so I think we've been blessed in a sense because of the relationships and the and some of the things that our university have that. That yes, we were able to afford it, but we were also afforded some things to take away that financial burden with us too dealing with this COVID. So, so we're no different than in, when it comes to testing and trying to stay safe. Now, ultimately, it is on us as coaches and it is on us as student athletes to make sure that we're doing the right thing, more so than anything else, because just taking the test doesn't cure it, but or cure the problem. But uh, it's us being safe and wearing masks and doing things the right way, also. But we've been blessed. To, to be put in a situation, and, and again, I, I I couldn't speak to Dr. Harvey enough because some of the things that 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 we were afforded because of his relationships and all that, that really a lot of that burden was taken off off of us, and we're we're able to move freely. Well, you know, Dr. Harvey is a visionary, as you know, um, and you are definitely fortunate and blessed to have, you know, him and his, um, of course, his. Uh, Connections, as you mentioned, and and what he can do. I, and the final question about this, before I kind of ask you about Norfolk, is uh, you know, can you just kind of paint a picture of what it's been like before you actually hit the court, and then when you hit the court, the sacrifices. And then, and listen, let's be clear. Um, you know, we all want to be safe, so I'm not trying to make it out to be the you know, what it is, but other than the fact that you guys are actually um, doing this and, and and the struggles and the stress and the things that go into all of that. Well, I mean, I mean, first of all, it's different in the fact that you don't have fans. There are no other kids here at school. You know, our student-athletes basically live in a bubble. You know, uh, again, we're blessed enough to have a, a set of apartments on campus that, that are gated, this and that, but Again, there's 24-hour surveillance around them to make sure that they're doing the right things and make sure that 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 they keep. You know, at the end of the day, again, no different. It is a little different, but in the same sense of the way the guys were in the NBA, you know, we're kind of living in our own bubble. We're from we're from our apartments to to the gym, back to the apartments, back to the gym. You know, so, again, the normal life that they've been used to as a student-athlete and what some people would say but they've been spoiled by, you know, that's totally changed. And I, it really hit me up at GW because, that's again, we played a game with no fans. So, you know, I, I really wasn't used to that. And, and you know, as a coach, sometimes it gets t- tough on us. We, we got to watch your mouth now because everybody in the gym is with you. So, <laughs> so right. again, it's the sacrifices that, that – that we've had to make uh, 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 just from the, some things of the normal day-to-day life of a student athlete and the daily checks and the, you got to get up in the morning and you got to go onto your live safe and answer the question is and, you know, all the things you have to do now just for everybody to try to be as safe as possible and not just for your student athletes. We don't want to put nobody in a community at risk, neither, and in the Hampton University community. So, you know, we, we got to be, we got to be, 
as student athletes, I think they have to be way more aware than they've ever had to be in their lives of what they're doing in their surroundings. And, you know, you already had a cancellation um, because of, of COVID with, with William and Mary. Um, and is Norfolk still on? I know it's coming up on Monday. If I'm not, is the game, as you know, still on? Uh, yeah, yeah. As of right now, the Norfolk are still good. Uh, and of course, it's still the battle, battle, battle of the bay. So, you know, we're gonna go in there with the same excitement and, you know, hopes to win a ball game. But not only, again, as I was, our guys are actually in there practicing right now. You know, as I told them the night, this thing is serious and it's real. Not only did we lose William and Mary, uh, we had a non-D1 that we had scheduled who had a game tonight, and we we're in a situation as, as the other school that they were supposed to play tonight that we actually test the teams. You know, we do a rapid test when they when they come on campus to play before we play. And they had three people test positive. So we just lost another game. So this, this thing is real. It, it, it's for real. Uh, final question for you. Uh, Keith is uh, going into Norfolk and getting a win. Of course, you, you don't even play home until that next ESPN game uh, three days later, hopefully. Actually, it's been canceled. Uh, but after that, uh, going to Lexington. But – uh, the keys to uh, getting a victory uh, at Norfolk State and Coach Jones. Uh, I mean, first of all, again, he, he's always he always has well disciplined squad, especially on the defensive end. So you got to make sure you you take care of the ball, and you got to make sure that you'll be you're able to make tough shots or put yourself in situations where you know you can get on the break and get as many easy baskets as you can, because. Uh, you know, they're, they're very well versed in half-court defense, and he does a great job with that. But to be able to do what I just talked about, you also that brings me to the next key, you got to be able to rebound the ball. You know, they have good size, they have good length, and they've always been tough on the glass. So you got to limit them to one shot so that you can get yourself some easy opportunities. Then you got to be able to handle the emotion of the game. You know, no no matter what, no matter what the records are, and I think right now we'll both be going into it where we'll be one and one both of us have some good victories and things like that, but handle the emotion of the game. And if you can do, do that and understand it takes a hot head to win a cool game, I mean, it takes a cool head to win a hot game, then after that I like our chances if we're able to do that. And then, you know, we'll see where the chips fall. Well, Coach, uh, listen, uh, thanks for coming on. Best of luck in, in this trying new thing. And, and, and like I said, God bless you and your family and your, your team and their families. Be safe, first and foremost, and we'll talk with you uh, very soon. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that, and God bless you and, and your listeners and everybody around. And hey, Stay safe, and you know we'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate you. All right, brother. All right. Coach Ed Joyner, Jr., Men's Basketball Coach at Hampton University. Pirates getting ready for a big game on Monday, Lord willing and safely. Uh, against Norfolk State, uh, and they've already had a game canceled. And so we'll talk with uh, him uh, hopefully after that. And, and certainly, folks, it's, it's the safety first. We're going to talk with our, our next guest about that in the National Football League, talk some NBA with him as well, 646 the number to get in touch with us. Watch us on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. StreamYard, uh, we'll uh, get to our guests in just a second.
You're not, but you're not turning the ball over. Uh, you're not dropping passes. You're just winning ugly against a divisional opponent. Um, that didn't happen, as Mike Tomlin said, including the coaching, because I thought it was a poor, a horrible game plan. I thought they had no respect at all for professionals, no respect for a, a, a division rival. They Going forward on fourth and one, numerous times, no respect. You can't run the ball, and you're going forward on fourth down and all these things. Bad coaching, bad decision-making, um, Ben should have ended the game. The the the, the throw to to Washington, the, the horrible throw before the half that almost cost them. They got points. Giving up the pass, they got JJ Watt. I mean, TJ uh, uh, Watt going down the field covering, um, you know, Hollywood Brown down the field. It, 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 I mean, just a mess. It's a horrible mess, and they can't. Now you lose, you know, half of your pass rush. For the rest of the season, and and they have absolute no answers going into even against a Washington team that's been playing well, who front seven can after you. I mean, it, it's a lot of ways to look at this. Yes, I don't want to sound like Tomlin. Yes, they got the win, but they came out beat up, and they didn't play well. And if they wanted the doubters to shut up, and they talked all this, you know, the Ravens are getting all this pass, and we're ready to play, and they weren't ready to play. So so assess this team after this game moving forward. Well, I think you said it initially very well that, you know, sometimes you have to win ugly games. And the important thing is that you survive in advance, you get the win, and you move on. And the Steelers were able to do that. I, I think initially they came out, you know, that was 10, 11 days worth of rust, too, that both teams had to deal with there. A 3.30 game on a Wednesday is odd to begin with. But keep in mind that, you know, the game was also postponed and rescheduled three or four uh, I, I did not expect either team to look sharp. I thought there was going to be a little bit of a learning curve to knock off that week and a half worth of rust. Not an excuse. I just think it was reality for both teams. Um, and, and then you mentioned it, you know, if you clean up three or four of those plays, uh, you make those plays instead of not make those plays, so to speak. And, and you're right. It's, it's a two score, three score difference in the end. What a bet. So, you know, the bottom line is they found a way to win. Uh, despite an injury, despite an odd situation. Uh, I know the Ravens aren't at full strength, but it's still a good football team. Um, and you got the win. You're 10-0. and 0, You move on. You know, you, you're not going to blow doors every week. You're not going to get an A-plus performance team in this league every week. Um, you know, in the end, they got the victory. The defense played well enough to win. The offense played well enough to win, and you just hope as a Steelers fan that your team can, you know, clean some things up moving forward and uh, and play four quarters. Um, but but you know, the bottom line is wins and losses in this league. The Steelers got the win. They're still unbeaten. They're still going to be very tough to beat moving forward, whether they're 100% or not. 
And there's a couple other things, too, and I, I want to move on. It, 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 you know, Pittsburgh has been consistent in winning. Um, but, you know, as Mike would say, and even with the Steelers would be the standard, it's the standard. We don't play. They don't play um, to, to, for the regular season. The, the goal is to win that, eighth, you know, that eighth, you know, Super Bowl, seven or eight. I forgot already. Uh, but the the point is they want yeah. to win more Super Bowls. That that's the other thing, and the struggles have been sort of um, you know highlighted over even Roethlisberger's career. Um, so you have that. So do you think that some fans, some of these media people, these so-called pundits and experts? Don't believe in them because of that. Because, you know, Kansas City hasn't played lights out and blown everybody out. They've let Tampa come back, and we'll get to that, and, and some other things as well. But, you know, nobody's saying, well, they, you know, they don't, they have some kink in their armor. But, the, again, the flip side of that is that they are the Super Bowl champions, and they have the best quarterback, arguably the best player on the planet in football at quarterback. So, Are the people not believing in the Steelers because they're not blowing people out because of their history and the the recent playoffs, or um, is this some form of double standard, you think? Um, I I just think people like the Chiefs because they're they're fun to watch. They're, They're marketable, obviously. You mentioned Mahomes. He's not only good, but he's marketable. Um, you know, he's on every other commercial. You know, people like Andy Reid, I think, because of his creativity. I mean, both Tomlin and Reid are, are both very good coaches, two of the top five or so, in my opinion. But but Reid, with all the gadget plays and, you know, and, and the spread them and shred them offensive philosophy, I think there's a certain attraction to that. Um, and plus, the, the Steelers are there every year or every other. You know, they're in the playoffs. People are used to seeing them in January. Uh, they've been watching Big Ben now for the better part of two decades. Um, you know, because of how good they've been and the longevity that they've had, I think that can work against them because people, you know, kind of take them for granted. Similar, I think, to the Spurs in the NBA. Um you know, you can say what you want about the Patriots, but I think they would fall in that category as well. So, you know, sometimes that long-term multi-decade, multi-decade success, um, you know, can wear on a public. And, you know, sometimes it's all about the, the shiny new toy, so to speak. You know, it used to be teams like the Falcons, right? And Matt Ryan, let's go, Julio Jones. You know, look at the Falcons. They're thirteen and three. Look at you know they're scoring thirty points and you know in three quarters against the Patriots. You know they're the best thing. And you know obviously that didn't last. Um, so my my point is that the Chiefs are attractive for now, and they deserve to be. You know they went out and won the whole thing last year. Um, you're the champ until someone beats you. But the Steelers quietly have rebuilt very quickly. It took, what, less than two years, and here they are again, you know, on the verge of going back again to potentially another AFC championship. It's just, you know, they've been perhaps too good for their own good, so to speak, over the last 15, 20 years. 
how big of a, is the loss for them at this point, losing half your sack and pressure, um, especially when the hopes is that, well, not the hope, but if you have to play Kansas, you know, you have, you'd be a full-fledged, obviously Devin Bush gone, but uh, not having him, if you had to play Kansas City, how big of a loss is that? Because I think Devin Bush is much more versatile. I think that's a bigger loss than it was uh, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's quietly been putting together a borderline Pro Bowl campaign. Uh, just in terms of what he can do in coverage, what he can do rushing the passer. You can move him around pre-snap. He's a sideline-to-sideline guy. Um, You know, one of the best at the position, I think, especially when we talk about good young players. Uh, The good news, I think, for Steelers fans is you've got a few guys like that, including, um, you know, you mentioned TJ, what he can do in coverage. Um. But, you know, Tomlin, that staff, they, they've always, not always, but for the most part, they've been able to maximize the roster. They've been able to bring guys along like Bud Dupree, uh, kind of undervalued, I felt like, in, in the draft. And, you know, now all of a sudden he's, he's a borderline starter. Still doesn't get any credit because he's on the opposite side of, of T.J. Watt. Watt, another guy who's been, you know, kind of moved around, can rush from the left side, can rush from the right side, et cetera. So, the point is there's there's other versatile pieces, I think, on that defense. There's still time where you can kind of plug and play or move guys around uh, that are good enough to pick up, you know, kind of where they left off, I think, moving forward. So uh, there's depth, there's versatility. Uh, that, that defensive unit, I think, is bigger than any one player. And uh, obviously the, the injury is, is not ideal. It's, it's not at a good time here in December. Um, but I think they've got enough to get by that if, if they play their cards right. Mm. So with Nick Anastas here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina. Nick, um, we talked last week, I believe, about uh, Carson Wentz uh, making a lot of money. I think he's got that deer caught in a headlight type thing going on. He doesn't trust his judgment. Um, and he's always trying to make the big plays. Uh, Jared Goff is a, is similar. A lot of money. Came in. Pocket guy. You know, uh, the, the, the quote-unquote, you know, genius offensive coach and all of that. And he struggled. He's turning the ball over at a high rate. And Sean McVay is really not feeling it and, and telling him basically he's got to get it together. And, and I think with him, it's more or less not being able to adjust when the play breaks down and staying with the play. And, and that causes his hesitation, causes the turnovers. You get hit, any quarterback, you get hit the way he's been getting hit. You fumble the ball, he takes the sack. Talk about him. Is it, is it similar to Carson Wentz where he's kind of regressing a little bit and and not trusting the system enough and, and, and not being able to adjust on the fly? Um, or is he just taking too many, making too many bad decisions and taking too many chances? 
I think Goff is probably in a better spot right now than Wentz. Uh, just to throw a little bit of a comparison in there. Um, number one, I, I think Goff is on a better team. They have a better balance, you know, better offense than what's going on in Philly. Philly, you know, nobody can stay healthy. They've got an old offensive line, uh, a suspect run game to begin with that's been hit with injuries. Um, and then you throw in the fact that, you know, I'm not looking to make excuses for Lentz, but, but those are the that is the situation, I think, in Philadelphia, and then he hasn't played well on top of that. He's been suspect, as you mentioned, with his decision-making, uh, a little bit of happy feet, um, which, which comes with the territory. I think if you're on, frankly, not a very good team. So this is the weakest surrounding cast that, that Wentz has had. Again, not, not necessarily looking to make a case in, in his defense, but, but that is the reality. Uh, Goff, meanwhile, I'm not sure how good he can be, L.A. I, I think this is about probably as good as it gets. Uh, which works if he doesn't turn the ball over. You know, he, that offense is, is run, 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 and then run some more. And then maybe throw a little bit of play action in there. Um, you know, you, you've got capable guys in, in Cooper Cup. Um, you know, he's a target hog. Woods is, is a playmaker, as we know. Uh, they got another athletic third receiver there in Reynolds that I think is, uh, is an underrated piece. So they can throw the ball, but again, that they've got three running backs, and if they're running the ball well, they can run it as well as as a lot of teams in the league. Their defense is playing well, and they're winning games. So I, I think Goff is is probably in a better spot moving forward, uh, even though Wentz may have the better skill set. But it's coming very close to put up or shut up time with Wentz. I mean, throw in the fact that the Philadelphia market. That fan base is, is, is as tough of a place to play in, basically, or at least outside of New York, than there is in the country. So the fans have, you know, starting to get sick of it. Um, you know, Peterson, I think, is he, he's not on the hot seat. He's on the warm seat, so to speak. So the, I think those two are kind of attached at the hip moving forward. And, you know, Philadelphia, again, spent a second-round draft pick on a quarterback last year. They don't do that unless they think that somehow, some way, he could be a big part moving forward. And there's been rumblings you know, that, that, that they're going to put him on the field more more often. They're going to expand the packages that, uh, that Jalen Hurts is involved with. Um, they seem to say that every week, and yet he only throws one or two passes a game. So... But still, I think the writing is on the wall there. It's basically a message to to uh, to Carson Wentz saying, "Hey, we've got a capable guy. He's coming along behind you. Um, you know, it's time to put up or shut up." I, I think if they make the playoffs, I said this a couple weeks ago. I think if they make the playoffs, it, it buys him a little more time. It buys him, I think, another six months. Uh, if they don't win that division, and right now all signs are pointing to that they won't that I think it becomes very interesting in the offseason um, and becomes decision time for that Eagles front office in terms of, I think, probably both starting quarterback and head coach moving forward. I was going to say, I, I, you know, they everybody's been talking about, and, and deservedly so, all the money that would be dead if they let Carson Wentz go. 
So it, you don't think that it would be both of them, regardless of how this thing ends, going in off season, they'll both be back. Peterson, I think. I mean, Lord, no. I mean, did he? He didn't forget to how to coach, and you know, he just won a Super Bowl three years ago. So I see the scenario of them both coming back, and then mid season, if it's not working, somebody's got to go, or either he's benched or Peterson's fired. And then the second question is, I feel like golf came in towards the end of this whole um, stay-in-the-pocket type quarterback and not be able to beat you with the, the, the uh, your leg. You, you look in Buffalo, you look in Arizona, you look in Baltimore, you look at these, these areas, and these kids, Carson Wentz, these guys can run, they're athletic, they can throw the ball, and Jared Goff is just a stand-in-pocket. He's not that type of quarterback. So so you think that he sort of came in the tail end of what the new era is now? Yeah, I can see that. I think you make a pretty good point with that. Um, we'll see. I think the jury's still out on how long this, this running quarterback thing uh, stays in fashion. I think the NFL and, and football in general is kind of a, a secular sport, a secular league where, you know, trends come and trends go. So, um, you know, but, but, but you're right. It seemed like the last, I don't know, what, four or five years, three or four years, it, it's been drifting towards that athletic quarterback. But, um, you know, golf, he's not going to win games with his arm. I think he's going to win games by managing and, and making decisions, by moving the sticks on third down. He's a game manager is ultimately, I think, what he what he is. And I think that works for the Rams. It works when it when it works, so to speak, when it doesn't. And, and he's asked to go out and win a football game. I think that's when they get in a little bit of trouble. I think we saw that in the Super Bowl against the Patriots when New England sold out to stop the run and basically said, if we're going to lose, it's going to be because of Jared Goff. And it was a one-score game in the fourth quarter, you know, and Goff just couldn't make enough throws to put the Rams over the top. I, uh, until I see otherwise, in a big spot or not, I think he's a game manager. I think if everything goes well, they do well. But if you're expecting Goff to go out and win you a game in the fourth quarter, I think you're in trouble. And Peterson, the whole scenario there, you know. Yeah, you're probably uh, they, right. Probably right there. It probably would, you know, I, I would say that they're probably both okay uh, this summer. There's a lot of money involved. Uh, his, his his stock is pretty low right now, which would make it tough for them to, to move him if, if that is the decision. Um, but, it, but then again, it is Philadelphia. And they have short memories over there. It's it's what have you done for me lately? I mean, L.A., I remember driving through there. I don't know when this was. It was during the Andy Reid, Donovan McNabb era. And I was driving on Route 95 through Philadelphia right after an Eagles win. And I put it on the radio, and it was one caller after the other. This was one, a year when they were like, you know, eight and three, uh, nine and four, you know, in early December in the in the mix. And it's one fan after the other calling for Andy Reid's head, calling for Donovan McNabb's head. 
Um, you know, they, they didn't do this right. They didn't do that right. I'm thinking to myself, didn't you guys just win? <laughs> I, I mean, I know New York can be brutal. Yeah, we see that up here in Boston. It's an educated, passionate fan base. But it, it's more and more, it's what have you done for me lately? And Carson Wentz, as you and I have talked about, has, did not win that Super Bowl. He was on the sidelines in street calls. So he, he, he doesn't have that bargaining chip favor. Eagles fans know that. And you're right. It, most likely they're okay moving into 2021, but you just never know with that kind of bloodthirsty fan base in that city of Philadelphia. Talking with Nick Anastas here on the Bachelor News uh, radio show. Uh, Nick, one uh, a quick other, I know there's a lot in the NFL, but I, I do want to uh, basically touch on um, when you look at the game after um, Tampa and uh, the, the uh, game with Tampa and Kansas City and, of course, New England getting the big win themselves. Uh, um, assess both games. I mean, you had said if they couldn't get it done against Houston, that was a wrap. Of course, they they came back and won. This is being New England. And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, hey, look at Tampa. They came back. It's not so bad. They got the bye. They're feeling good about themselves. And, you know, Brady and and, and Bruce Arians, again, I've seen this movie, and I know how it, it ends. Bruce Arians got uh, it probably added a year, uh, took away a year from Ben Roethlisberger's career, allowing that five to seven drop back, no blocking, straight up blocking type stuff, no help, uh, getting sacked from his career. So I've seen this movie before. And I knew this marriage was not going to work with a dink and dunk quarterback with guys who just want to just go out routes and go deep all the time. Um, but they're making big deals about how the, the Bucks came back. But I think it's more about the Chiefs getting more bored and taking their foot off the, the brakes and making this thing closer uh, than it needed to be, sort of like what the, the, the game, like, they should be criticizing Kansas City like they've been criticizing Pittsburgh, like not closing the deal the way people expected. But but assess both games uh, and both teams, both, you know, uh, the Patriots with their coach, uh, of course, and the divorce with uh, their quarterback in Tampa Bay. All right, let's start with Tampa. I think you and I have been on agreement with this since Brady signed there that it's not a great fit from a philosophical standpoint. A 43-year-old quarterback with a borderline dead arm is not going to be able to throw the ball down the field. We've known this in New England for the last five years. The way Brady beats you is pre-snap, quick release, and in-game decisions, Uh, all of which, uh, you know, Arians dominates. You know, with with Arians, it seems like it's – it's, you know, let's drop back, let's throw the ball deep, and let's let's beat the teams, you know, with, with 35, 40-point outcomes. And I just don't think that that's going to work, not against good teams. We've already seen that. I mean, you know, what, what's Tampa's biggest win, right? Because it seems like all their losses are against good teams. They're all, for the most part, seeming like in, in prime time. 
right? I mean, they were rolling in the mud with the Giants on a Monday night. Giants, by the way, have won four out of five. I know that. But, um, you know, they, 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 it seems like they've played down to their competition and they haven't beaten the cream of the crop, right? They lost twice to the Saints. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they, they got and smashed in the mouth. Quickly, and, Nick, quickly to your point about Brady, they're killing Bruce Arians, and I killed Bruce Arians when he was in Pittsburgh. However, Tom Brady knew what he was getting into. They're not killing right. him. He had to sign it, but they're not killing him. They're killing Bruce Arians. Tom Brady knew what Bruce Arians was about, and he asked for Antonio Brown. He brought in Burnett and all these stuff. That's all Brady stuff. So, I mean, right. they're killing Bruce Arians and not killing Tom Brady. Can you ever think of a scenario where they would kill Tom Brady? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's <a good> right? <laughs> so that, that's not surprising. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're flashy, you know. They're the new, you know, the, the league's favorite team, for sure. Um, but, but are they, you know, in that top tier? No, they're not. They're, they're just not. Um, I, I think they got exposed by the Chiefs. Uh, Listen, whenever one guy goes out and gets 260 yards and three touchdowns, you got a problem. you got a major problem. Tyreek Hill did whatever he wanted. Um, you know, and this is supposed to be a good secondary? It, I mean, come, come on. You're down 17 on your own field, uh, you know, going into the fourth quarter. I mean, sure, you got the two touchdowns. I guess you spoiled a lot of gamblers' days because you covered the spread by half a point in the end. But that's the only moral victory they got out of that game. So, you know, let's let, let me see them beat a, a good team in a big spot, and then maybe you'll have my attention. As far as the Patriots go, it's 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 completely unpredictable and. There's no real consistency. I, I First of all, they beat Arizona uh, fair and square. They went out and beat them, which I, right. I thought was surprising because I thought Arizona was pretty good. Um, but to the Patriots' credit, they, they, they put some things together. Uh, they had some timely stops, obviously. The ultimately, uh, the, the biggest timely stop of the afternoon was right before halftime when uh, they had a goal line stand. I think that went a long way uh, towards morale. And, uh, and helped uplift the Patriots' performance in the second half. But the defense played well. You know, Gilmore's, uh, you know, finally, I think, 100% at the cornerback spot. You can say what you want about what he's done this season, but I don't think anyone's disputing that they're better with him on the field than not. Um, they finally shored up some things with the front seven, it seemed like, against Arizona. They got a little bit of a pass rush against a mobile quarterback, which is encouraging. And then on offense, again, I, I think they've got some things in place if they can just do it consistently. Uh, with Burkhead out, that means James White is, is next man up as their top receiving back, and he looked like the James White of old on Sunday. You know, a big part of the game plan, big part of the dink and dunk, you know, throw it out to him in the flat, use him in the red zone. And then they've got, a, a, you know, an emerging second year back in, in Harris who has been – very good between the tackles, better than a lot of people have expected. Uh, can he stay healthy moving forward is a big question. Some of these young receivers have started to establish themselves a little bit in Myers and Harry on the outside. I mean, Edelman has become kind of an afterthought here. 
at this point at 34 and, you know, sideline most of the year. I think they're okay in, in a post-Edelman world. But ultimately, as we know, this is going to come down to Cam Newton. And I think he's proven that he's good enough at age 31 with a new team to keep them in the game in the fourth quarter. Can he go out and win the game? As he could not do in Buffalo, as he could not do against Seattle. Um, but he went out there and won the game on Sunday against Arizona. So they're still in the mix. I think that extra wild card team this year, the seven in each conference, uh, may end up being the only way the Patriots can get in. I don't think they catch Buffalo. Uh, I'm not sure how long Miami can keep this up, but uh, as of now, Miami keeps winning. So if the Pats are going to get in, you know, they've got to finish above 500, and then they've got to hope for that seventh and final playoff spot, that third wild card, um, which is still up for grabs, I think, at this point. In the AFC, it's probably down to probably 10 teams, 10 of the 15 or so, or 10 of the 16 teams. 10 of the 16, I think, have a shot at those final seven spots. I uh, take out the division winners. I think there's probably six teams in the hunt for three spots in the AFC, and the Patriots are one of those. Um, final NFL question real quick. Um, why won't Roger Goodell in the NFL consider a bubble? Uh, I, I think it's probably too late for that, to be honest. I think uh, you've got a lot of owners that have opened the gates at least part way. Um, you know, what we're seeing now 12 to upwards to 12 to 15,000 fans. And to just take that away from those fan bases, I think, is what Roger's trying to avoid. Um, now, obviously, in, in some of the blue states, as we've seen with, with San Francisco, a blue city, uh, with, with the Niners, you know, they're, they're in a, a tough spot. They may have to play their, their final home games in Arizona. At least at last look, that was the case. So this, this whole thing has been kind of a, a balancing act. Um, and you obviously look what happened last week with, with the Steelers and Ravens and how that has trickled down, domino effect affected this week's schedule in week 13. So no matter what, going to be some juggling, there's going to be some adjustments. Um, to introduce a bubble at this point, I think probably could work. Um, but I think for, you know, the league's interest in some of those fan bases, um, you know, they're, they're, they're just going to try to finish out the season the way it's gone, where most of the home teams have not had home fans. Right. But then, then, then the, then this is why the NFL doesn't get it right in PR because they pick and choose. And, and that's how a lot of fans are for or against when things happen controversially. So, if Roger Goodell is going to say on NBC in this Steelers-Ravens game the other night, look, you know, it's all about player safety first, but then you don't want to do the bubble because you don't want to upset the fans, then it's not about safety first. It's about the fans and that minimum dollars that's coming in. You can't have it both ways. If it's going to be about safety, then do the bubble. If it's because it's, if it's about safety. But if it's not about safety, it's about the fans and upsetting the fans, 
then it's not about safety. So if it's not about safety, then you shouldn't be pushing back games and finding Denver quarterbacks and making their wide receiver of the practice squad. Because, I mean, they, they want to have it both ways, Nick, is my point. Right. Right. No, I agree. And that's one of the unenviable parts of the job. I mean, cry me a river, $44 million a year is what Roger Goodell makes. He can handle it. But it's it's an unsavory part of the job, and that's trying to appease everybody across the spectrum. Now, you're right. You know, uh, it seems like they're a reactionary league. A lot of these commissioners are, you know, frankly. It's let's see which way the wind's blowing, and then let's see if we can craft a policy where the least amount of people are upset and the least amount of people are offended. That seems to be what it is. There's no hard and fast declaration one way or the other. Um, you know, and, and it's a lot like politics. It's about just trying to pander. It's about trying to keep people happy. That includes the players' union. That includes the owners. That includes the fan bases. That includes the advertisers. That includes the television uh, networks, et cetera. So, so in a lot of ways, it is kind of a thankless job. There's going to be second-guessing. There's always going to be an advocate for the other plan, the plan B, so to speak. Um, but you're right. I think in a lot of ways, perhaps the NFL, some of these other leagues, would have been better suited in the long run to go out and say, this is where we stand, and this is why. And maybe bring in some science, bring in some, you know, data to, to back up your, your stance either way versus let's keep everybody kind of on the edge of their seat. Are they going to play this game this week? Are they going to play it on Thursday? Are they going to play it on Sunday? Who's going to be able to play? Uh, how many negative tests can we produce between now and then? It, it, it does seem like a rat race. Uh, we're in an unprecedented time, obviously. I think the NFL, at the end of the day, has still done a decent job, uh, despite the fact that they haven't gotten it perfect. But at the end of the day, not everybody's going to be happy no matter what they do. So if you're Roger, I think you would have been better suited coming out and making a stand one way or the other, having some kind of a more solid, transparent um, you know, policy moving forward. But you've got to give them a little bit of a break due to the unprecedented nature of the situation itself. So. And I think that, you know, it's going to – we hope and pray it won't, but, you know, if people believe, if people believe in in the science that it, it could get worse and so uh, the bubble is why that, that kind of conversation keeps coming up. Orlando Hughes is on the line. Nick, uh, if you could hang a little bit longer, I do want to ask you one, one, month, one more NBA question before I go to him, and what's your thoughts on the – a trade. Uh, aside from the Lakers doing the Lakers, and oh my God, that's a whole nother conversation. The extension of Anthony Davis, the extension of uh, I mean, the extension of Anthony Davis, and of course of LeBron James. But this swap with guards, if you will, with um, uh, uh, from Washington to Houston, who do you think got the best? I mean, the 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 trade, I mean, the uh, the first round pick, you kind of throw out because it, you know, they, they may Houston may even trade that away. But a uh, John Wall or Russell Westbrook, uh, who do you think got the best of the deal? And can John Wall convince or that trade convince James Harden to stay in Houston? Uh, 
Well, that's that's a good question, and that's frankly why the trade happened, I think. Um, you know, there were reports that Westbrook and, and Harden, although they had played together in Oklahoma City, although they had both, I think, put on a, a good face last summer and said the right things, I don't think they were really thrilled about playing together. And I'm not sure how compatible they are. I don't think Westbrook was ever really comfortable there in terms of knowing what his role was. Uh, similar to what we saw with LeBron in Miami in year one, where he wasn't sure how to play alongside Dwayne Wade. I think it's kind of a same situation here. Um, so we'll see. I mean, John Wall's got to stay healthy. He's a heck of a player when he is healthy, but, but that's been a little while now. He, he hasn't been, you know, consistently healthy and, and productive in, what, at least two years, right? I, I mean, based on what I remember, he, he, you know, when was the last time he played 82 games? It, it's been a little bit. Um you know, he's, he's 29, 30 years old. Uh, it's now or never, I think, with both these players. Um, I think probably Wall had, had run his, you know, welcome thin there in Washington. He'd been there for about a decade or so. I think it was time for a switch there. Um, it never really worked for Westbrook in Houston. So I think if both players stay healthy, it's a pretty even swap. Um now back to the Harden question: Was Harden not happy with playing with Westbrook, or is he just sick of losing in Houston? And if he's just sick of losing in Houston, well, then I think the Rockets are in trouble because they went out every you know the last two off seasons really trying to appease this guy, trying to build uh, you know a team around him, trying to bring in a, a Robin to his Batman, so to speak. Uh, just pulling out all the stops, forget the money. But they've made personnel changes on the roster to try to appease James Harden. So if he's not appeased, then it's all for naught. And I think the Rockets are, are in big trouble. I think the problem is, is, is Mike D'Antoni. And I know, you know, he's had success. I know people like him. I know his brand is exciting to watch for the casual fan. But that small ball stuff is not going to win in the NBA. It may win overseas. You know, it's just not going to win in the NBA. You need traditional bigs. You need to rebound in the finals. You need to come up with stops, none of which the Rockets can do consistently. They can spread the floor. They can get three-point shooters. They can have James Harden drop 36, 37 a night, and they're still going to lose in the second round. So until they have a philosophical change, uh, I think with Dan Tony out of the way, it doesn't matter, you know, what Tating characters are either around James Harden or not. They have to have, I think, a philosophical change or else they're going to see this is the ceiling for them. They win the first round, they bow out in the second. I think that's the, the standard operating procedure, with or without James Harden, with or without James Wall or John Wall, whoever's in there, if Mike D'Antoni is on the sidelines, they rack up 56, 57 wins. They lose in the second round as a four seed. Well, he's assistant coach now in the Eastern Conference, and as you're right, didn't work uh, in, in, in any place in any of his stuff. That, that play some defense for a change. And Houston might have some statistical uh, 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 victories defensively, but they really want a defensive 
Harden better suited. The, the two teams I keep hearing is our Sixers and Brooklyn. And and if it, it, it really, for me, it depends on his mindset. If Harden wants to go somewhere to be the man, um, then maybe he thinks Philly might be a better shot. If he wants to go to just win a championship, then maybe he goes to Brooklyn. I don't want him in Philly. That makes no sense unless you're going to get rid of uh, uh, um, your, uh, what's the name? And, and the fact is that you can't have a backcourt like that where you have a distributor who needs the ball to be well and a guard who needs the ball to be well. And it's two different things. I just don't see that towards Philly. So if if he humbles himself, they can work in both places. But if he wants to just pad his numbers and, and get out of Houston, it won't work in Philly. Maybe it might work in Brooklyn. It definitely won't work in Brooklyn. And could even see both. Um, Harden and Kyrie, uh, if he, it didn't work with Chris Paul. It did not work with Dwight Howard. It did not work with Russell Westbrook. He and Kyrie, um, I don't know what kind of chemical reaction you put two chemicals together to see what the outlook is going to be. Um, Harden may fit in Golden State, um, but right now Houston has a problem because Houston, it's known you have a disgruntled superstar. And so no one's going to really trade you anything of value. Their best opportunity was to trade him before the season started. Once the season starts, you might as well keep him for the year because no one's going to give up anything. And if you're the Sixers – In Orlando, then you and Luther Vandross making – no, not Luther. You're, making, you're Prince making bad records because you can't get out of your deal. You're hard in saying, you know what, I'm, I'll shoot 50 times. If I'm in Houston, I don't care. I, we can lose all our games. I don't care. I'm going to get mine or whatever. So you got this front on. He's just going to do whatever because he wants out. Yeah, but, I mean, let's let's see what it is. Because now, as Nick said, D'Antoni's gone. So you got Boogie Cousins. You got John Wall. Um, you have some players on that Houston team that will really not ponder to James Harden. So if if – James Harden starts to do what he did to uh, um, goodness gracious, Dwight Howard. That's not going to work on a Boogie Cousins. That's not going to work on a John Wall. You know that that, that so those players are gone. So I want to see what the young coach can do uh, in Houston. I think this is a borderline AC team in the West, maybe a ninth seed with with the teams they have out there. Um, but I don't see a place for, you know, Harden to go. Maybe Milwaukee, if Milwaukee wants to trade and do something trying to keep Giannis. Uh, but I don't see him coming to Brooklyn because Brooklyn's not going to give up that bench. And if you're the Sixers, why would we do it? You know, he will be nice here. But if Ben Simmons, if ben Simmons comes back with a – a nice medium range. I don't need him to shoot three-pointers, but I need him to come up with a medium range. He put up five jumpers per game. With the team that's on the floor that the Sixers have now, you're talking about more space. And 
you know, our coach is not here, which is going to help the team, I believe, anyway, with, with a Doc Rivers coaching and that staff. So James Harden kind of he, – he screwed himself. Um, and so Russell's gone. So he's making his money. Uh, he turned down $50 million per year, which is absolutely dumb because I don't care if it were uh, Ogden, Utah. So $50 million a year, I'd have been playing in Ogden, Utah. Uh, and, and loving it. <laughs> so, and, and let me ask you, uh, um, uh, Nick. Final question for you. And 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 I agree with with Orlando. I mean, and, and even if even if Ben Simmons is shooting, I, 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 he needs to be able to be this this hybrid Magic Johnson. He's got to be able to distribute and shoot and do all. He has to have the ball. Harden won't. That won't work. But Aside from that, you see the Lakers getting rich, um, not only extensions for their two best players, but what they brought in. And, and, and still in Montreal, from the same building, essentially, from the Clippers. Uh, what do you, how long do you see the Lakers winning in terms of titles? Can they, will they win next year? And if I mention, say, you know, a, a, a team in the West, the, the, the Clippers, who I think should have uh, brought back Chris Paul or something along those lines, even, uh, you know, a Drew Holiday, someone like that, or a Denver, who I think are still a, a player away. Dallas, hopefully, if Pozingas could be better, they still a, a year away. Golden State loses Clay Thompson. I mean, you don't know. And then Milwaukee, I still don't think it's a championship team. I don't even think they get out of the East. Brooklyn, maybe, but can they even beat the Lakers? I mean, what do you see with this Lakers squad um, next year in a repeat and moving forward? Who can beat this team? They're the favorite. They've got to be. Um, you know, it's scary to think, but AD might be better this year. You know, now that the the, the uh, I, I don't know, I, I think the bubble kind of caught everybody by uh, surprise. The COVID situation, everybody by surprise. But but I think a year later, uh, with AD now comfortable on that team, familiar with the teammates, I, I think he could put up you know even better numbers. Uh, he enters that that week of his prime. Um, you know, what is he, 27, 28? That's, that's typically the, the golden years for a player. So I think we haven't even seen the best of what Davis can do, and that I think is scary for the rest of the league. And, you know, Le- LeBron obviously still has plenty in the tank. Uh, 35, 36, a physical specimen. He's been able to hold up this long, I think, because of how uh, great a physical shape he's in. Um, you know, and, and sure, the Lakers, you know, they get, they got some questions, you know, can they shoot? Uh, well, it seemed like they were susceptible, uh, when, when they didn't have a great night from the floor. Uh, but that's really the only weak spot that I can see. I, I think there's more glaring questions for the other contenders. Uh, you mentioned signing, uh, really a, a, a muscle, uh, kind of freak player that, who's underappreciated, I think, in, um, 
in the kid coming over out of Louisville from uh, from the Clippers. Uh, he's, he's I think, exactly, yeah, he, he's exactly, I think, what they need. You know, somebody uh, with some chops, somebody who's who's got a little bit of an attitude, uh, you know, some, a tough guy, a Charles Oakley type. You know, he's not Oakley. Nobody's Oakley, <laughs> frankly, but, but, but that type of, of, of player, um, I, I think, can do nothing but help out that, that Laker team. And then, you know, they, they spent money on Caldwell Pope. We'll see about that. Um, frankly, I think they overpaid for him at $40 million. Yeah. But, you know, he, he did play well. Um, he's a good player. Now he's got a ring. So you you got to get spoiled at some point. Um, but, you know, the, the, the other teams, like you said, I'm not sure, you know, if the Clippers did enough to get better. As you mentioned, Denver is probably, I think you're right, a player away. I think they need a third score. Um, they haven't really addressed that. You know, uh, to Orlando's point, I don't think Houston is, is any better. They were, what, a four or five seed this, this last time around. They're probably a seven or eight in my estimation at best in a deeper conference. Um, so, so, so you know, and Brooklyn, prove it. You know, prove it. Prove it. Right. You know, on paper. Uh, Kyrie Orton, right. prove it. On paper, right? Right. 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 Durant, let's see it, okay? Durant, a frail Durant on a bad ankle and a bad leg at 32 on the wrong side of his prime. Let's see it after a year off. I'll take the Celtics all day and, and then twice on Sunday, just based on their recent history. So, um, you know, in the West and, and in the league, frankly, to answer your question, it's the Lakers to lose right now with AD as the new focal piece and a complimentary, I think, LeBron James moving forward is still the best one-two punch in the league. I agree with you. And, and you know, I, I think the concern with Kemba being out that start of the season, we'll see how that goes, um, getting the injection. Um, but we'll see what happens with Boston. Uh, Nick, as always, I, I, listen, I, I uh, appreciate the extended time, man. You be well. Talk with you next week, sir. Sounds good, Olaf. Thank you. Thank Nick. Nick Anastas, of course, he is the uh, uh, play-by-play voice of UMass Lowell and uh, of Anastas Media. Orlando, the same question to you as we uh, wind down. You know, if you look at the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, I mean, you can assess it, and you may have a different opinion, but in the Lakers, are the, the rich got richer, and, the you know, the poor got a little bit better, but not to a championship caliber uh, place. Now, I understand, I, I was very uh, happy with the Sixers draft, I like. I think Seth, Seth uh, Curry coming in is, is a big move for them. I'm not so. I'm not a big Dwight Howard guy at this point in his career, but I, I guess assuming that he will give them the minutes and he'll be efficient and that kind of thing. Um, uh, you know, and then you know, obviously, if they get off to a close start, uh, a, a slow start, you know, maybe some more moves are happening. But assess the field against the Lakers, who who were you realistically putting, you know, our sister hats off and being, you know, very 
uh, obvious about it, uh, that can dethrone the Lakers next year? I don't think so. And this is not Laker hate. They, they, they've had the best offseason of anyone in the NBA. Um, but there's something to be said for not having to travel during the playoffs. So Denver, you know, Utah, the Clippers, not traveling. So we don't know if there'll be fans uh, come playoff time, you know, or, or there'll be no fans. But all these teams will have to travel unless the NBA decides to formulate another bubble. If they formulate another bubble, then I say it's definitely the Lakers to win. But that traveling is important. Um, right. So I, I, I hesitate with that. The Clippers, I don't see – um, I think Denver has fallen back a bit, uh, just losing Jeremy Grant. Um, you know, they're going to get Michael Powell Jr. will step into that role, and he'll he'll be that player. But the Phoenix Suns uh, won't be anything more at their best, at their best, a sixth seed. But that's another team that you have to worry about now in the West, Western Conference. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, if they remain healthy throughout the year, minus, uh, you know, the, the 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 tragic loss of their shooting guard again. Um, but they'll be something, um, especially adding uh, Oubre to the mix there and, and, and the rookie that they drafted. Uh, so they're good. Um I think the East is better this year than the West is, if you want to be honest. You talk about Miami. You talk about uh, Washington, uh, who can make a trade. Uh, obviously, our Sixers, the the Nets, the Celtics, uh, the Tampa Bay Raptors. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> um, and, right, you know, Indiana will be there. Uh, again, and and Milwaukee. So there's yeah, there's some viable teams. Are we, are we finding enough in the East to to throw in the West? Is the East the East may be deeper, and you see a lot of Western guys going East, which which means they they see the writing on the wall. But is the East capable of beat of the throwing the West next year? I, I believe so. I mean, all right. So let's keep let's keep the ten, this team out that that practices over in Camden. We won't even mention them, right? So the Philadelphia Sixers don't exist. Um, so Boston with the addition of Tristan Thompson that helps Boston. Uh, I still love what Toronto is. Um, the the problem is, do they match up with the Lakers? Let's say if it's the Lakers. Uh, don't know. The Miami Heat still need a big man. Bam is Bam is the man, uh, but they don't have any bench. The Lakers lost something because I don't think Gasol can really give you the minutes. He he's been struggling um, in, in the latter part of his career. I agree with I'm that. Not, I'm, I'm I'm not certain because remove the Celtics. We're not talking about the team here. I agree with Nick about the team in Brooklyn. Um, They have to prove it. And I think they're going to be um, 
a bit of a sideshow, um, just with Kyrie, KD, and they talk about Levert and, and Dinwiddie and, and, and um, uh, Joe Allen, uh, the, the the shooter from Virginia. Right. I think they're going to have problems. And now you put Dan Tony into the mix. I, I don't I don't believe in them. I honestly think that that's. And Lennon, that's why I said he that he will be. First of all, I think he's pushing the Harden thing. Second of all, it, it, with him on the bench, I think Steve Nash. I mean, that's the worst thing they could have ever done. Could have ever done bringing them right. in. Right, right. Well, I, I don't, I don't see. They have the most pieces to trade, but they're going to lose a lot to get James Harden, and then you're going to have to try to acclimate him. Um, to that team, I just do not see it happening, LA. Uh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but I, I just don't see that happening. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, the, the Lakers are still there, they still have size, they still have LeBron, they still have AD. Um, Dennis Schroeder, he'll be okay for them. Um, the loss of Rondo, oh, and I forgot about the Hawks. I mean, look at what Atlanta's done, um, down there, and they have one of my, my, my favorite coaches uh, in the league down there. And so they'll be good. And out west, you know, uh, I, I believe that you're going to have Van Gundy do a little bit better than what was happening with the brother in, in New Orleans. Plus you got another year now of this team staying together. They didn't really lose any pieces. They added some pieces. So that's good. I think the Clippers well, I, know, I, I, like, it's, I, I like Van Gundy. Van Gundy just has to be so he, he gets that that you know, um sort of that rep like, you know, the coach in New York now. Like it, it are you able to be able to be flexible and adjust with your players and and right. deal with the players. Um, right. And that's like it. Yeah. In New York. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. With, with, with Van Gundy. But uh, again, just to, to, to go back to the specific question, um, I know there are a lot of good teams. I, I thought the NBA draft for everybody, for the most part, was really good. Everybody kind of did, uh, did something good. But my point is, is that, um, is there a specific team that can dethrone the Lakers? You hear the Greek Greek saying, "Hey, basically, I want to stay in Milwaukee if I um, and hey, LeBron, you guys want to come here? That's fine. Uh, is Milwaukee's a small market? You can't make the money where these guys want to make the money off the court, as you know. So I thought that was kind of disingenuous for him to say that, um, and he won't say." But, you know, they bring in a Drew Holiday. That's not enough to beat the Lakers, in my opinion. Now, Philly may have a good shot, especially if they add something, right? And, and again, that's not being a Philly homer and, and fan. And Brooklyn, with all their talent, and if they give up the bench, I would say less, may be a, a, a team that might be able to, to dethrone them with Kyrie and a healthy Kyrie and, and KD. But outside of that, is your team – that you think that can can beat the Lakers? Maybe the Lakers to beat, but the Lakers, a, a team that you look at their roster now and say, hey, outside of Philly, 
Brooklyn, maybe the Clippers because of Kawhi and PG. Uh, is there another team you think that can escalate? Um, the, the thing the Lakers throw at you is size. So we, we we talked about AD, we talked about LeBron, obviously, right? But then you got the big twin. You got Mar, you know, you have the Morris twin there, right? Six ten. He's bringing size and attitude. Um, you're talking about uh, Gasol. He's bringing size and and intellect. Um, how he plays the game. Um, this is going to sound asinine. I think Houston could give them a little bit problem. Just matchup. Look at the matchup. Wow. If John Wall comes back and and does something, Houston has a pretty nice squad. You know, uh, with Boogie Cousins who who will have something to prove. Uh, James Harden, uh, Daniel House. Um, they could do something with that because they match up with them and they match up with size. The one thing about AD, he plays defense, but he doesn't want to play the five. So Boogie can affect him. You know, Joel definitely will affect him. Um, uh, I don't believe that the Milwaukee does anything. Uh, they don't offer anything. I don't think the Clippers really do anything because they can't match up with their size. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think – it's a good move on the part of the Lakers by by grabbing Montrez Harris, but I don't think Montrez Harris fits with the Lakers, if you ask me. He doesn't offer anything. Not to that team and what they're asking him to do. So, like, who are you going to run him with? To, to answer your question, it'll be hard. Right now, the Lakers are the odds-on favorite to win in the, in the championship, um, and that's because they they've had the best offseason of anyone in the NBA. What about when you, you look at um, LeBron, and I had this conversation with someone earlier, and I, I respect your opinion on this. Um, and we can always agree to disagree. But listen, LeBron, so people kill him for not winning in the finals, but he got to the finals. Um, people kill him for not staying with one team. But in my opinion, LeBron's been strategic. So he came to the league, got to the finals with a bunch of misfits, lost to the Spurs. He said, you know what? Nah, this is not going to work. So I'm going to take my stuff. I gave Cleveland my home area just all I could. Now I'm going to go to Miami because I want to be my homeboy. I want to win. So they won. Then he thought about his legacy with his home, so he goes back to Cleveland. He wins. Now he's thinking about L.A. and making movies, making money, doing this and all the social stuff. He goes to L.A. Um, always strategic with LeBron. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, they may, Orlando, they may, or I should say he may win six titles. If, if they can do it with AD there and all that kind of stuff, which would tie at least the arguably greatest player in NBA history, at least in, in terms of uh, this modern era with the six titles and all that other stuff. So would that, if, if, 
again, if the butt marries a, marries a nut, if he ties um, Jordan with all the other stuff, including the social media, does that push him past Jordan as the of this era, the greatest player of the game? Adding in um, all the things that I just said. Adding in all the things I just said. If if he wins six, to answer your question, for ninety seven percent of the fans, not including the three percent that actually have a brain, yes. That's a simple answer. Yes, he does. He's above it. Okay. Um, and, and the three percent is something completely different. So I don't know how much time you have, but we can talk about that later. But um, yeah, if you if you give him six, and now he has four, um, then yeah, there, there's no argument because he's done more using his platform. Um, than than Michael Jordan could have ever imagined, um, and we always talked about we always talk about the players of the seventies and how they were instrumental in talking and, and you know they were still ball players, football, basketball, whatever, but they were they were black first and they they spoke about that. So he's been very vocal with this. Um, I think LeBron James owes a lot of his 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 uh, becoming a winner to Pat Rowley and going down to Miami. I think that was the best move that he ever ever made because oh. prior to that, his first seven seasons, he was he wasn't a nothing, and yeah, he didn't have too much to support him in Cleveland. But when you play with Rowley, he got that Miami Heat attitude and that winning. Thing in him, and that that was enough to put it in him. He was already more talented than about what, 90, 98% of the players in the league. Um, so that edge that Raleigh showed him, and Spolster showed him, and, and D Wade showed him down in Miami, he's been carrying that. Um, so I'm, listen, I, I can't knock the brother. I cannot knock the brother. Um, again, the only the only reason, the only thing, and this is not talking about the team here in Philadelphia, I say that they don't win the championship is this year they have to travel for the playoffs. Last year they won it. They beat everyone that was in that bubble. Hats off to them, but they did not travel. They played on the same three courts for three months. The same three courts. So – you you knew everything about that. And not having fans and not being in, in a hotel room or different cities, that impacts your mentality. I don't care how focused you are. You play a little bit different in, in some places. So, uh, But back to your original question, yes. If you give LeBron six, there's not a hater in the world that can say he's not the best player Um uh, to play the game in the modern era, quote unquote, with another quote, right, <laughs> right. People like to throw in, and Will Chamberlain, I understand. Will, I mean, with respect to him, he he won two titles. He won, but he won only two titles. You put it like that. Um, but uh, uh, to your point, um, those. What do you? 
how do you rationale the people who say, well, yeah, he did it, and we understand the social uh, platforms, but he he got his six. Is assuming that he ends with six, he got his six with different teams. Jordan got his with one team. Not that, and people don't think in the fact that Jordan came back and played miserably with the Wizards and stuff, but he did win his with one team. What do you say to those people who say, okay, he won it in Cleveland, he won it in Miami, he won it in the Lakers? Um, what do you say to those folks? Well, listen, again, two different eras. So there wasn't the free agency. The players didn't have the control that the players have now. So the ability to move around um, and, and go to team to team, um, they didn't have that back in the day. So that's hard to compare. Now, the people who say, look who he's won it with and who's on the team, uh, they got a little bit of an argument because he's never won it. Um, unless he had multiple people. But then the same people that argue, you could say the same thing about Magic. You know, Magic played, what, what, three Hall of Famers at all times? Uh, I thought Magic's best season was in 91 when they lost to Michael in the Bulls, but he drove that team. You know, that was Magic that took that team. And if you you remember, the Lakers were a four seed that year, and they actually – uh, made it to the finals. So um, I thought that was Magic's greatest run. Um, but I'm 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 old school, so there's some things that I believe in that just, just is old school, and I, I accept that. But I got to give it up to LeBron. I can't knock the guy. Um, uh, but it's a, it's a different game, different era. Yeah, because at the end of the day, too, he, he may have lost them, and Jordan didn't, but Nobody says that about um, Tom Brady. Brady's been to nine Super Bowls. He won six. That means he lost three. Nobody complains about that, right? So, yeah. like, you get there and you win or you lose based on whatever the case may be, whatever it is. And so yeah. I, I think that that's part of it. But And, and I, I understand you in terms of old school. Hell, I mean, we've been waiting for a minute with Philly. So I, I'm definitely – old school, when people uh, complain about um, uh, back in the day when they complained, just keeping on Philly for a minute, complained about Andrew Tony uh, shooting the ball too much. Did you not see James Harden? Like, I mean, really, have you always seen James Harden or Russell Westbrook and these ball hogs? I mean, and, and Tony was coming off the bench. So, like, so you complaining about a guy – Coming off the bench, but you you're not watching these guys that are starting that just shoot shoot and more shoot. So I, you know there's some old school. About me. I mean you know again people might go oh well you're a Sixers fan. I love Andrew Jones. He always took he was very methodical in the shot. He took good shots. He didn't just shoot. Right. I mean he took good shots that helped Philly in the playoffs and regular season whatever the season may be. Um, with that, um, with with that being said, when you look uh, at the game, and a lot has been said, and, and you and I and T Mac and everybody has talked about this before. Final questions: When you look at the way 
um, guys are deciding their legacy once they make their money. And the money is different going back to old school, like when we were kids watching these guys. And you mentioned, you know, uh, Harden turning down $50 million a year or whatever. Um, he might not be the, the greatest example, but you've had guys that in every era of Atlanta, as we know, who have tried to be whores to get their their, their rank. They sold their self. They, they went from team to team to get that rank. And now in this different era, there's a big difference, but the only difference is that these guys are getting 50, 30, 40 million dollars, and they played seven years, and now they won a title. And it seems like, I'm not saying that Harden, that I know that completely, but Harden might be there. So do you have a problem with a guy who's been with a Houston, who's asked for players, and then he decided, you know what, I've got to get my ring. May not be about his homeboys. It may not be all that other stuff. I just I gotta get the ring to to plant my legacy. I done put all these numbers up. I got MVPs. I got all star MVPs. Made for the finals. Now I need a ring. You have a problem with that? And what's the difference between now and in the past of Barclays and Carmelo's and all the mothers doing? Well, Carmelo and Barkley, and those guys never won a ring. So I mean, I guess if you want to. Give an example of that. You talk about Bob McAdoo uh, playing right. for the Buffalo Braves um, and then spending time in Kansas City and ended up winning a championship with the Lakers. Um, then he tried to come over here. He sat on the bench with the Sixers and he tried to win a, uh, another one uh, there. So he's an example. Um, you know, uh, not Kerr, uh, Robert Ori has won on three different teams. Steve Kerr has won on three different teams. Um, so Harden right now is in a position where he has to make money because he will be doing a disservice to himself. And I think that the Players Association would get, come down on him extremely hard if he was going to defer money in order to chase a championship. That will go against everything that they've been sacrificing and been able to achieve if he decides to just join the Lakers, the Sixers, or something else. So he can't do that now. Three years from now, you know, we could have this conversation, and and that may be different. Um, And that's just like Chris Paul. Chris Paul had to take that money from the Rockets, especially being, you know, the president of the Players Association. How how dare you not accept that money? Um, and if you're a former player in any sport, but we're talking exclusively about the NBA at the moment, you, you, you earn the right, you didn't necessarily earn the right, but players sacrifice for you to have the right to make that money that you're making right now. Um, the way that they're, they're able to share the television revenue and, and, and with the owners is something that's not on par with anything in sports. So they they have to continue to do what they're doing in the NBA. And right now they got a good product because they have a mixture of uh, LeBron in his late third, well mid thirties, still young to us. But um, right. and then you got Luca and, and, and 
these other kids and 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 the the, the kid down and, and Zion and all of these folks that have come into the league. That 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 that's key. That's key. One more thing I want to talk about, LA. Since we're on the NBA, real quick, I know we got to get out of here real quickly. Can sure, people sure. leave LeVar Ball alone? He said he was going to have all three of his boys as NBA players. We may not like the method. We don't like what he put in, in, in his gumbo, but he told us, I'm going to make gumbo, and, and everyone's going to like it. And sure enough as hell, all three of his boys are in the league. Two of his boys were drafted in the top three in the NBA. That's right. talk to us. Orlando. Orlando, to your point, and I brought this up to, to T-Mac, and I said, listen, uh, you may not like his the way he's saying it or whatever. It may be different, but they they doubted and they criticized um, Richard Williams with the Williams sisters. And it, it may be different. Like, it may be different. He may be a little – he may bring on a little bit more than Richard Williams, but at the end of the day – he loves his kids. His kids are in the NBA, and guess what? He he is doing it his way, and and so I don't have a problem with that. To to your point, right, right. I, I'm just I'm just I'm satisfied to see that as a father, especially as a black father, right. for him to talk right. trash and to ensure that his boys are set up for life. You know, well, whether or not they they. Make it, but they'll all play at least three to five years in the league, and they'll come out, you know, with a good pocketbook um, because from there he's also prepared them for the pitfalls of the league and how people can come and absorb your money. So I, I just say hats off to LeVar. Um, you know, he had a dream. Uh, he told us about the dream. He bragged about the dream, and the dream now is a reality. Yeah, and that and that's the the point I was trying to make is that yeah you don't like his methods and but you know a lot of people don't like his methods but guess what he said you know my boy my boys are good enough to make uh, you know pro pros in, in basketball and that's what he's done and, and um, I don't have a problem with it and you know we always you know looking at our methods is being cocky, but we're we're fathers. Like you said, I'm a father, you're a father, so you know what that means. And sometimes we may say things or be a little cocky or whatever at, at that level with, with him. But at the end of the day, he's uh, protecting and acknowledging his kids. And I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, so... We'll leave it at that. Orlando, I appreciate you, bro. No problem. Uh, I will off, off air. Love you, man. Uh, you and your fam, uh, your wife, is you be safe in your travels and everything else, or, or non, I hope. And I'll talk with you soon. All right, man. Be safe. Check for you. Appreciate you, man. Orlando Hughes, of course, he is the voice of uh, KRSB uh, Radio, and he is also. Uh, a co-host here on the Bachelor News Radio Show and the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Wake up in the morning, love And the sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning, love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be A lovely day
You bring peace to my world. I would do anything. You're my love. You are my girl. I, I can see what your heart has been asking. Do you believe this is love everlasting? Then darling, I'll marry you. Good 